message from my heart from Acts chapter 20. So if you want to open your Bible to Acts chapter 20, I'll get there in a moment. Uh, it'll, take me, it'll take me a little bit till I get there. But I want to have a word of prayer with you before I do that, because at this point, I'm going to start signing. I'm going to let my wife uh, sit over here. Look at me, dear. You go over there. There you go. I didn't want to have to say that in front of everybody, but I, I, told, I told Andrew, I need my wife to sit over here. Why? Because if I miss a verse, she has to help me out. I need my helper. So uh, I am thankful for my wife, by the way. I love, well, she told me not to say all this, but I, I can't help it. I love her so much. I don't know what I'd do without her. I, I quoted Winnie the Pooh. I want to die one day before her. Anyway, you'll have to think about that one later. Let's, let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're here tonight and we ask you to help us to see this world through your eyes. And God, we're asking tonight, we're begging you. We didn't come here to play church. We came here tonight because the need in the world is so great. And we are so few. But we ask you to help us to see this world the way that you see the world and help us to reach out and do all that we can to make a difference while we're here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to ask you some questions. Why do we do a meeting like this? Uh, you know, people have traveled. I, I explained that girl from Texas. But people traveled from many, many states to come here. They paid a lot of money for hotel rooms and, and different things and the gas and all the t that, the time that they spent coming. Uh, we had people from all over the Northeast that came here. Why do they come? Why do they pay all that money? Why does the Silent Word Ministries team come up to do these meetings? By the way, this is the third of this kind of meeting. They do one in Georgia to start, and then they, we did one in Michigan two weeks ago. Terry and I went to that one, and then we come here. This is the last one. This is the best one <laughs> by far. Anyway, um, but, but why do we do it? It's because of this verse. Now, this verse is not in Acts chapter 20, so you have to look up here, and you'll see the verse. These are the last words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know the verse. I'm sure you've memorized it. Jesus looked at those 120 followers who were there on that hillside who had asked him, are you going to establish the kingdom now? And by the way, we're not asking that question now. We're saying, is the rapture going to happen now? And Jesus says in the verse just before this, it's not for you to worry about that. That's in the Father's hands. What you need to do here, verse, verse 8, but ye shall receive power when? Okay, I thought you knew this verse. Let's try it again. I'm going to do it again. You ready? But ye shall receive power when? After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Do you know that when you hand out a track, you're not handing it out for Pastor Wendell. When you witness to your neighbor, you're not doing it for yourself. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, we are witnessing unto him. And then he tells us where, both, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and where there's, there's no stopping unto the uttermost parts 
of the earth. That's our responsibility. Can I tell you that that is the main thing? And tonight I want to talk to you about keeping the main thing the main thing. I feel like we have, uh, we have had the opportunity in the last two years to be so distracted so easily. There's so many things pulling for our attention. And I think there's a real, a real danger right now for, for Christians, for the church, to lose their vision, to become so consumed with the things that are around us that are happening that we forget the main thing. I, I want to show you some numbers. These, these break my heart. Uh, a missionary friend of mine showed me some numbers. Uh, this is from an app that, that missionaries on deputation use. It's called the Independent Fundamental Baptist Missionary Trails uh, website. And I want you to see some of these numbers. There are 11,925 independent Baptist churches in America, okay? You with me? See that one? Now, that's in this, this study. It, I'm not sure it's inclusive of everyone, but 11, just close to 12,000. Of those 12,000, there are 72 deaf churches Rusty Church is one of those 72 churches. Of the remaining independent Baptist churches, 11,847 left, only 263 have a deaf ministry. Valley Forge Baptist is one. That means 2.2% of independent Baptist churches have anything for a deaf person. Rusty, would you stand up real quick? That man has a soul. If he came to your church and you didn't know sign language, he is without hope of hearing about Jesus Christ. Right? He went to a church for 20-some, 20-plus years, probably a good church, a, a solid independent Baptist church, and heard the gospel never because he didn't hear through his eyes. All that was there was through the voice. I, this, this number is why Terry and I have surrendered our lives to Sound Word Ministries' mission to reach the rest of those people. It's our goal to go to these independent Baptist churches, churches we would go to if we lived in their town, that have nothing for the deaf and help them to learn sign language and teach them and, and train them and, and try to pull the deaf to come to their churches. Why? Because there are many, 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 many deaf who are without the gospel. I'm going to tell you that the Jehovah Witnesses are going for the deaf. The Mormon church is going for the deaf. They're training, they're paying for their interpreters to go to college. And their, church, their churches are growing while we remain at 2.2% for, for the deaf to hear. And by the way, I know that's just independent Baptists. I know there's other good churches, but you understand that number is very low. Uh, really, I'm excited that Valley Forge Baptist Temple is one of those 230-some churches. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we, uh, we have a ministry that, that our deaf can come here every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
Uh, they can come for fellowships. They can come and be, be a part of anything that's happening here, and I'm excited for that. But that is why we have the ASLI. That's why we do the Deaf Bible Conference. Um, and tonight, I want you to see here in the Word of God the motivation that we have to continue. Here in Acts chapter 20, I want you to see, we're going to begin in verse 19, and we'll, we'll read a few of the verses and I'm going to really hone in on one, one verse at the end. But in verse 19, by the way, uh, Luke, we know Luke wrote the book of, of Luke and Acts together as one book. Uh, pastor's been studying this book on Sunday nights before. You've already heard all that. But in this, in this book, obviously Luke is the, the human author, but he's recording what's happened with Paul. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus here. And he knows that his ministry time is drawing to an end. He knows that. And so he, he, he gives them some kind of the final thoughts for this church. He wouldn't come back here again. He says in verse 19, I've been serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Now let me just pause if you look at me for just a second. Let me explain. I think there are three things here that are vital to any person that wants to serve God. They're in this verse. We, we have many, many uh, books on uh, do these five things and you'll be qualified for the ministry. I think there's three right here. We could, I love the word of God. I think that every word in here is so important. It was handpicked by the Holy Spirit of God and put here for us. The first thing that Paul said, I served you with what? Humility of mind. We are living in a world right now that has forgotten humility. Humility is frowned upon. Uh, don't talk down about yourself. I'm going to tell you, we are all at best sinners who've been saved by the grace of God. And when we forget that and we begin to think, oh, my way and my opinion is most important. Other people need to agree with me or out you go. That's not humble. And Paul said, I served you with humility of mind. And then he says, second, with many tears. Yesterday, I was a little embarrassed. I was preaching the closing time over here in the room. And as I got to the end, I became overwhelmed with the thought that God had chosen me to be able to serve the deaf that were there. I looked around that room, 95 people from the area God has called us to reach, and my heart was broken. And tears, I had to get my hanky out. By the way, my dad's hanky. I carry him with me now wherever I go. This is not the same one I used yesterday, just for you ladies who are worried. <laughs> it's a new one. This one's clean. But I had to get my hanky and wipe my eyes because my heart was broken. When was the last time you cried for a person's soul? We heard about the, the Jones's daughter today. That should grieve your heart. You shouldn't be able to just hear that and go on. Tears are important to us. And then the last thing he said with many temptations, he means troubles that, that hit him. When the, Jews, when the Jews were lying in wait for him. Can I tell you, when you serve God, it's not easy. And that's why many people don't want to serve, serve, serve God, because they want the easy way. When you serve God, you're going to have challenges. It will happen. If you live right for God, you will not be popular in your town. That's just the way it is. So accept that if you want to serve God. 
Humility of mind. I better keep going. That's not my message. It's just the introduction. Anyway, verse 20. He went on, he said, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Now watch this. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's pretty much, that's the gospel right there. Repentance toward God. If you're going to be saved, did you see Rusty's testimony? He said tonight, he, he went, Reggie Rempel talked to him, and he said, you're a sinner. And Rusty was like, ah, oh, it's true. By the way, he already knew that. In his heart, he knew that. Pastor said this morning, uh, nature tells us that. The conscience tells us that. We know we're sinners. We just don't know what to do with that sin. How do we get rid of it? By the way, people outside the church don't know that. The Kamilchu families in Russia, they're telling people that. Why? They don't know that. Somebody needs to tell them. He said uh, repentance toward God and then faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Go on, let's go down to verse uh, 22. He said, and now behold, I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Verse 23, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul said to them, I know, I'm going to Jerusalem. His friends said, Paul, don't go. Don't go. They're waiting for you there in Jerusalem. Don't go there. And Paul said, I know they're waiting for me. Troubles abide with me. It's all right. I didn't come here to live easy and free. I came here to serve God. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem, even if I'm bound. You know, it's, it's interesting. When, you, when you're talking to a person, and you know it's the last time you're going to see them, it's interesting the conversation you have. As some of you may know, some may not know, uh, my dad uh, passed away September 24th. And uh, Terry and I had the privilege. I want to say it again. We had the privilege to take care of my dad for those last months. My dad lives in, in our house. He, they have an addition on our house, and he lives with us, and we had the honor to take care of him. And after my, da- after my dad died, my mind went back to how many conversations that he and I had had. Now, I'm going to tell you, before the last days of his life, uh, we talked about a lot of things. Uh, we talked about every, every sports team in Philadelphia. And my, my dad would complain about the Eagles. He didn't call them the Eagles. He called them the Eagles. He's old. All the old people call them Eagles. But anyway, uh, we talk about the baseball Phillies. We talk about the 76ers. I can tell you in the last months of his life, I would say to him, hey, I, hey Dad, the Phillies are playing tonight. You want to watch? Nah. Okay. Uh, we did not talk about politics can you imagine that? We, did, we didn't even talk about it. He didn't care who, who was in, in politics. It wasn't important. Uh, we, this, this is amazing. We didn't talk about COVID. <laughs> we didn't talk about COVID. Can I tell you what we talked about? There's a, there's a TV station. I don't even know the number. 
but I think it's called Scripture and Song. And we'd put that thing on, and they'd play beautiful songs, and they'd have pictures of beautiful nature pictures. Every once in a while, they got a bad preacher on there, but you got to turn it off for them. Uh, but but uh, we'd watch that, and my, I would sit, my, my dad would lay, and we would sing with them. My dad, my dad was not a singer. My mom was, but my dad really, he, he, would, he would whistle once in a while, but he didn't sing, but he sang in those days with me. We shared our favorite verses back and forth. We talked again and again and again about the day we got saved. I'm going to tell you, Paul here says, I'm not going to talk about things that are not important to me. I'm going to Jerusalem I know I'm going to have trouble when I get there, but I'm going to talk about the important things to me, and that is my relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to see verse 24. This is the verse where I'm aiming for tonight. Paul said, none of these things, all of that, all of the burden, the people going to attack me, the people who've been against me, all of those things, none of those things move me. None of those things are important to me. Neither count I my life as dear unto myself. What does that mean? Contrary to the popular opinion today, Paul said, I am not focused on my life alone. I'm not so self-absorbed that I'm, I'm forgetting the world and I'm focused on me. I'm not worried about me. I'm not moved by the things that happened to me. Man, could our world use that today? We, and by the way, I'm afraid in, in churches today too, we're, we're kind of following that path. We need to be really, really, really careful. Uh, when I was a little boy, we learned a, so- a song uh, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell to spell joy. Do you know that one? How many of you know that one? Yeah. And then he's saying the song, if you put Jesus first and up, uh, something like this, I'm messing up. Don't come to me later and sing it. I know what it is. Anyway, others are second. And if you put yourself third, you spell joy. And you know, that's, that's true. It's a kid's song, but it's true. And, and Paul said here, I'm not moved by those things, and I don't, I don't count my life as dear unto me. He goes on, and he says, why? So that I don't do those things, so that I can accomplish, and he gives us three things. Number one, that I might finish my course with joy. Second, that the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, that I might testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You're going to need to go back up to the top, brother, because I'm going to hit them one at a time, all right? So, Paul, by the way, Paul could have focused on the people that came against him. He could have focused on the personal relationship uh, challenges that he had in his ministry. He, he, could have, he could have focused on the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were so against him and opposed him on, at every side. He could have focused on those things. But he, and by the way, he could have bragged about his accomplishments. There are very few Christians that have accomplished what Paul accomplished in his life. He could have bragged. He didn't do any of that. He said, I'm focused on three things. I want to finish my course. I want, to, I want to complete my ministry, 
And I want to share the gospel with as many people as possible. Can I say to you tonight, that verse, verse 24, is the main thing. And I want to just share with you real quickly those three things, and then I'll be finished. Paul wrote first that he wanted to finish his course. Now you can do that first one. Finish my course, he said. Uh, when I was in, in high school, I've told the stories before. I know, I know most of you don't believe me. It's funny because this weekend, I showed a picture of myself when I was in high school, and I was running track. And the deaf went, ah, that's not you. I said, it is me. Now, doesn't look like you. He's skinny. I said, I know. <laughs> I, I ran track in, uh, in Springford High School right here. And uh, my favorite race was the, uh, today they'd call it the 800-meter relay. So you'd run, I'd, I'd run the first leg around, then I'd hand off, he'd run around, he'd hand off, he'd run around, he'd hand off, he'd run around, finish line. And so in, in my uh, junior year, I was the last person so I had the opportunity to cross the finish line I love that part but my last year my senior year in high school uh, a stinking I think a sophomore came in it was really fast so he got to go on the last leg I became I became the first leg and uh, we, we had a pretty good we had a good team uh, our, our relay team was pretty good but we weren't as good as we could be and so our coach he knew a guy who was running for the Navy and he brought him in on a Saturday, and he was going to coach us and teach us how to do the handoffs and everything. And so he taught us one, one Saturday. He said, you want, uh, so number one, you're going to run around. And we, now this is a long time ago. We didn't have rubber tracks like today. They cheat today. In the old days, we ran on cinders. And at Springford, you could put your thumb all the way down. That's how they were loose. It wasn't good. But anyway, uh, he told us, we'd put a mark. We'd make a mark. And when I'd, I'd come running around the corner, when I came to that mark, I would, ye I would yell, go! And the second guy would start before I arrived to him. You understand? So that, why? So that I'm running as fast as I possibly can, and he, the second runner, is running also fast as he can. When we hand off, he goes, and we don't lose any time. We don't waste time. So I remember the first time after that Saturday, we had, we had a, a meet on the, I think it was the next Monday. So I'm, I'm all, I'm juiced up, man. I, I'm so competitive. I, I can't wait. And, and I get down, and get ready, set, boom, the gun. I, mean, I take off. And I'm coming around that turn. It was at Springford, too. I came around that turn. And I mean, I'm pumping. My, my adrenaline is just going, I'm coming around. And when I see my mark there, about five steps before, I yell, go! And now I understand something. I don't know if I can catch him. <laughs> because he went. And now I'm like, oh, my eyes are like this. I'm running fast. I I, I, true story. I reach out, or we did this way. I reach out, I put the baton in his hand, and when, I, when he gets a hold of it, I, I, on my shoulder, all the way. I rolled off the track, because number three and four are gonna come around, I have to get off. And, and by the way, we set the school record. <laughs> but I had to dig out uh, cinders from my shoulder for about a week, but anyway. Can I say to you, 
That's the way I want to finish my course. I don't want to be like, huh. let, the, let the young people do it. I want the young people to do it too. But I want to hand off to them. Running at my top speed. Amen? I don't want to, I don't want to jog to them. I don't want to be going backwards. I want to be pushing as hard as I can. I'm not dead. And until I die, I want to push and push and try and try and witness and witness and preach and preach. I don't want to quit. I don't want to back up. I want young people to come to take my place. I'm telling you. But I'm not going to quit. I'll find another thing to do. Amen? Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. Interesting word. That word joy appears in your New Testament 63 times. Paul used it 27 times. So about half of the time that the word uh, joy appears in your Bible, Paul wrote it. Uh, We know that the, the book of Philippians, while he's in prison, he wrote, and the theme of that whole book is joy. Paul said, I want, I want to finish my course with joy. It's not, it's not the laughter you have when you hear a good joke. It's, it's deep, deep joy. It doesn't matter what this, what's happening around you, the situation around you, it doesn't matter. What's happening around you does not determine your joy. Amen. If it does determine your joy, you don't have real joy. You just have happiness, but you don't have joy. Joy stays whether it's good or bad around you. And Paul said, I want to finish with that joy. He goes on and he says, oh, by the way, let let me ask you, do you still have joy in serving God? I hope you do. By the way, if you're, if you're not serving God, I hope you don't have joy. How do you like that? Because God made you to serve Him. He saved you to serve Him. Let your light so shine before men that what? They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God doesn't want you to sit here and sour and, and soak. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for every one of us here to be involved until we finish his course and we should do it with joy. Second, he says here in this verse, verse 24, he says, I want to finish my course with joy and I want to finish, look at the, look at the words, the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus. You, you understand something. Saul of of Tarsus was on a road to go do what? Kill and imprison Christians. God had another plan. And God interrupted Saul. And he met him there on that road. By the way, it's a, I, I wish I had time to preach that in Acts chapter 9. I, I don't have the time. Uh, you're saying, Phew. Anyway, um, on that road, God interrupts him. And, and he saves Saul right there, but he also blinds him. 
I love, I love Acts 9. I think it's one of the funniest chapters in your Bible because uh, Saul goes to the home of a man. He stays. And over here, God comes to Ananias. Hey, Ananias, I need you to go over there into uh, Simon's home. Uh, Saul of Tarsus is there, and he needs to, he's gotten saved. He needs you to go over and help him. He'll, he's blind now, but he'll become seeing when you go over. And Ananias says, Ah, Lord, maybe you don't know this about him, but he came here to kill us. And God says, Oh, I know all about him. I have a plan for him. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, he says, Go thy way. God says to Ananias, Go thy way. For he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. Did Paul do that? Yes. He's going to go before kings. Did he do that? He did. He's going to go to the children of Israel. Did he do that? He did. And God said, because I'm going to show him how great things he's going to suffer for my name. So Ananias goes. I love the story. He goes the first two words he says prove his absolute faith. He comes up to Saul. Saul, I can just see Saul. Ananias comes up and he says to him, Brother Saul, what proof did Ananias have that Paul had become Paul? Only God touching his heart. But he went, and, and what, by the way, it says here, so that's verses 15 and 16. If you drop down to verse 20, it says this. And straightway, Saul, Saul preached the gospel, I'm sorry, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he was the son of God. Saul, Paul, did exactly what God said he should do. That, can you go back to the one before that, brother? That was the ministry he received of the Lord Jesus. He had joy in doing that ministry. And he said to us, I want to finish my life doing that ministry. I don't want to, I don't want to quit. I don't want to get off track. I don't want to retire. I want to do that ministry until I am finished. Let me show you the third thing. Paul said, what am I going to do? My goal is to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Folks, can I tell you tonight, there is nothing sweeter than testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. When you see a person trust Christ and become saved, nothing compares with that. I've had the honor or the opportunity to buy a new car. I go the, the first day and I get in. Oh, it smells so good, you know. Everything's clean. There's nothing wrong. I drive it home and I park it, and the first thought pops in my mind. I wonder when I'm going to get the first dent. <laughs> right? Or I hear a noise on the way home. That can't be good. Uh, I will tell you there's nothing compares with when you see the light come on. I told a story yesterday. Uh, we had a fantastic Saturday in New Hampshire years ago. And um, I, I, it was just Terry and I. We didn't have any helpers with us. It was just Terry and I. And, 
and I, I preached and I gave the gospel. We always, we always give the gospel before lunch. Some of you are figuring that out. And so I gave the gospel and uh, three men uh, raised their hand and wanted to be saved. I noticed a woman, she was sitting right about here and I saw her just fidgeting and, and, and kind of looking around. She was nervous. I could tell by her, her body language. She was, she was not settled. We finished the invitation. I took those three men, and I, I explained the gospel. They got saved, all three. It was exciting. Came back, had lunch, finished, went back in. Finished the day. At 4 o'clock, we finished, and we're, we said goodbye. We'll see you next year, and we're, we're packing up. Terry's over here talking to some women, and I noticed that lady kind of standing in the, in the aisle. So I came down, and I, I went over to her, and I said, uh, I don't mean to be too bold, but I noticed while I was talking about how to go to heaven you, you looked a little bit nervous. I said, if you die, you're going to go to heaven? She said, no. I said, can I show you how? She said, yeah. I went through the, I went through the gospel with her. I explained again. I, and we're standing right there in the middle of the room. People are all around us going. We're, and I said to her, um, do you want to pray with me? She said, yes. And she prayed to receive Christ. I will never forget. When she finished, she looked at me, and she said this to me. True. She said to me, I have been waiting my whole life to hear that. Can I tell you, there's people all around us today who have been waiting their whole life to hear the simple gospel. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 10, that before he comes back for us, the gospel must first be published among all nations. We support missionaries not because it's a nice thing to do. We support missionaries here at Valley Forge Baptist because the gospel must be published among all of the nations. And so we go for that reason. In, in the last, uh, uh, by the way, Paul wrote 100 chapters in your Bible. Let me, let me back up. Paul wrote 100 chapters in your Bible if you believe correctly that he wrote the book of Hebrews. If you do, uh, the, the word gospel appears uh, in those 100 chapters 62 times. Paul was consumed with the gospel. I want to be consumed with the gospel. I want the gospel to be on my mind and on my heart and on my hands and in my voice every day of my life Paul was consumed with the gospel let me finish tonight I, I need to close let me give you one last verse and this is in 2nd Timothy you know the verse Paul said I want you to notice the words that he used I have what okay you need to copy me you need to copy my signs I, I love to do this when I'm signing to hearing people the deaf are ready the hearing are like, well, not me. No, you got to do it. Come on. You ready? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Did you see the words? I have fought, finished, and kept. Amen? That is the main thing. I want to fight. 
I want to finish, and I want to keep on that straight path. I want to I do the main thing until God calls me home. And I hope you want the same. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the Word of God. I'm, I'm glad tonight that I don't have to preach from my own writings. I'm so thankful tonight that I can preach from this eternal book that we'll study when we're in heaven. That's truths will be the same today, tomorrow, and all throughout eternity. And God, tonight I ask you, I, I've preached what's on my heart that I need to hear for me, but there may be some folks here, Lord, that need it too. I pray that they've taken it, that they've accepted it, not just accepted it, but they'll commit to do it. God, we live in a world that is desperately in search of the truth of the Word of God. And we know it. God, I pray you'd help us to be serious about it. And Lord, we need your help because this world is pulling at us from every different angle, more than we ever expected it could in our lifetime, but it is. And it's not just affecting older people, middle-aged people. It's affecting young people, and even children. And God, we need you. We need some children that will trust you early in their lives and learn so they can go and tell others. We need some teenagers who will be serious about their commitment of walking with you and, and not fitting in, but, but standing out for you. And God, we need some middle-aged couples, some young couples that will commit to raise their families according to the Word of God. And God, we need some senior citizens who, even though retired maybe from their jobs, will not retire from this ministry, but will continue to serve and love you and do all that they can for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight, you don't know for sure if you died that you'd go to heaven. I want you to know there is a way to heaven. And I want to meet you in heaven. By the way, I know I'm going to be there. Not because I'm a member of this church or because I take communion or I've done more good than bad because that's not true. What is true is that Jesus Christ has died for my sins and I've trusted him. And if you're here tonight and you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do it tonight. If you'd say, Jim, I'm not 100% sure that if I died right now that I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know more about it. Would you just raise your hand? I don't know for sure, but I want to make sure. Anybody like that? I'll wait just a moment. Would you stand to your feet for a moment? I know we haven't done public invitations coming forward, but here's what I'd like to do. We're in a big room. I believe God wants to work in us. I, I don't think God's done with us. And if your heart is like mine, and you will say, I've been distracted some. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I've gotten off course some. But I want to get back to the main thing. I want God to use me. I want him to do in my life what he made me for, what he made me to do. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to get in the game, and I want to run as hard as I can until I cross the finish line. If that's you tonight, you say, Jim, this message touched my heart. My, the thought you've presented tonight of keeping the main thing has really touched my heart. And I want to commit my life to God from now to the last breath I breathe, that I will serve God with all my might, with all my soul, with all my body, with all my mind. If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand real quickly? That's me. Would you? Keep it up for just a moment. I want that for me. By the way, my hand's raised with you. 
Our days are short. You can put your hands down. God, our days are short and we need to do this now. Help us not to put off till tomorrow what we ought to do today. And Lord, please help us to keep the main thing. The main thing we ask in Jesus' name. Today. Thank you so much for that. Hey, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 3. We are looking at the seven realities of experiencing God. If the last year has taught us anything, it has taught us that God is in control and we are not. You know, we've just come through I would like to call it a training exercise of worldwide government regulations that has never been seen in the history of the world. Nothing has ever happened like this, what we have experienced in the last year, where all the countries of the world were participating in the same type of government regulations. Ladies and gentlemen, this was and is a practice, a dry run on a global scale of the kind of things that will happen in the coming tribulation, the seven-year tribulation uh, following the rapture as described in Revelation chapter 6 to 19. People are being conditioned to accept a form of government control that is described especially in Revelation chapter 13, verses 12 to 18, you can look at it later, uh, but you see exactly what God said will come in the future is this government control, and we see it happening, the practice run right now. So as we see God at work in the world, and He is, may we also see Him working in our lives, because He is. Seven realities of experiencing God. Number one, God is always at work around you. He's always at work around you. Sometimes it's obvious, but many times it's not. Sometimes you see his work in your life right away, or it might be years. You, you look back how God has been moving and leading and guiding and controlling, and you look back after years and you say, oh, wow, look what God did in my life. What I thought was a disaster, God used it for good. Look what God did in my family. Look what God did at work. Look how God brought me to church. Look how God reset the direction of my life. And we conclude that God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. We believe that because it is true. So God is always at work around you. Number two, the second reality uh, we want to know about God is that God is pursuing a love relationship with you that is real and personal. God wants an intimate love relationship, a growing spiritual friendship with you. He wants you to fellowship uh, with him just as you would your closest friend. This is far more important than what we do for him. And when you focus on this, God will display his power in your life in big ways and in little ways. God is relentlessly pursuing a love relationship with you even when you ignore him, even when you, you're just focusing on yourself, even when you become so consumed with your past hurts. Number three, 
God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Do you realize that God has an assignment for you in your life? God has a job for you to do. It might be something big, it might be something small, but he has a a will, a plan for your life. Assignment number one, pursue God, love God, serve God. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Assignment number two, point your family and friends and co-workers to Christ. Once God comes into your life, that he wants to use you to point other people to him. Assignment number three, there's a blank there. You get to fill it in. You get to figure it out. Uh, What God wants you to do to impact others, starting in your family, your friends, your church, where you work. Hey, hey, when God reveals to you where he is working, that becomes an invitation for you to join him in his activity. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, to reveal his purposes, to reveal his ways. And we will look at that in greater detail in two weeks. Now, would you please stand with me as we come to Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we, we began with Moses discovering God at the burning bush. The bush is burning. It's not consumed. God speaks out of the bush. And so as I begin to read to you this encounter between God and Moses, may I say to you, go and do not do thou likewise, okay? So don't do what Moses did as uh, he began in this conversation with God. So Exodus chapter 3, let's learn from Moses. We'll begin in verse 6. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey." unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Let's pray together. Our Father, we we now come into your presence, and we ask you to be able to take your word and your spirit and to speak to our hearts today. Help us to set aside the distractions, the cares of life, the distractions of of, uh, the digital devices and the phones. And may we focus upon the message you have for us. May we have ears to hear. May we be quick to believe, to obey, to respond with action. The assignment 
the will that you have for each one of us. Now, Lord, I pray that that there may be some here or watching online and they're just not sure if heaven is their home. May the Spirit of God convict and convince and draw them to yourself. May they be saved. May they be born again into the family of God today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Seven realities to experience God. Number five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to a crisis, a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Oh, I, I, I wish we could delete this point and avoid this point and not have to experience, but every one of us is going to have a crisis season or maybe several in our lives. We're going to be at a crossroads. We're going to have to make a decision. You know, since the creation of Adam and Eve, God's desire is that every human being has a relationship with him. God, God wants everyone in the world to know who he truly is. And so in creation, he has revealed himself. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And so there is a witness of creation. And when people look around, they see the sun, moon, and stars. They see the trees, the oceans, the mountains, the desert. They say there is intelligent design. They say God is, and God is powerful, and God is big, and God is smart and wise to, to do this masterful creation, whether you look through a microscope or a telescope. But then also, uh, God has revealed himself through conscience, Romans chapter 2. God is holy, and we know that we have sin. We know we are sinners, and so to come into a relationship with this God, we're going to have to be forgiven. And the Word of God reveals God specifically to us. And yet God created us with the free will so that we might respond to his love and love him back. He loved us first. And once we come to know the Lord is our personal Savior, then God wants to shine this love, this truth, through us to other people. And God wants to give a specific task for each one of us. And so this God-sized assignment, it's going to require more than my own strength, more than my own power. I'm going to need divine strength, divine power, wisdom, and guidance. Now, when God asks you to do something, you cannot do it in your own power. You're going to face a crisis. You're going to have a crossroads. You have to make a decision. Right now, the, the Jones family is, is in that crisis with their daughter having this injury from the car accident and how they're going to respond to that. We have people right now awaiting medical results, and it's going to be a crisis in their life. You will have to decide what you really believe about God. Can he and will he do what he has said he will do through you. Can the Lord do this impossible through an ordinary life? And how you respond to his invitation at the crossroads, at the crisis, it really, it reveals what you truly believe about God. So I want you to think about some Old Testament saints that, that found themselves in a crisis situation. We'll start with Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve there in Genesis 3, they failed to obey God. They fell into sin as well of all of their descendants. That, that includes us. And then in Genesis 4, their, their oldest son murders their second son. So Cain kills Abel. I'd say that's a, that's a crisis. 
and it's something that that uh, uh, few in here can possibly understand the heartache and heartbreak they went through. Now, do you remember anybody else in the Old Testament that has been through a crisis moment? Well, that would be like most of the people in the Old Testament, right? Uh, who comes to your mind when you think of someone in the Old Testament, they had this crisis, they had this crossroads, they had this decision, are they going to go with God or not? Who, who comes to your mind? Frank? Joseph. Or Joseph. Multiple times. Brothers hate him, throw him in a pit, they're going to kill him. That's a crisis. They sell him into slavery. That's a crisis. He becomes a good manager for, for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lies about him. He goes into prison. That's a crisis. I mean, just one after the other. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to phase Joseph's love for God or his attitude. Someone else in the Old Testament. Yes, Jen. David going into the Valley of Elah. With the giant, that'd be a crisis, right? All the soldiers are up in the hill, and here he is uh, facing the, the, the giant. That's a crisis. Someone else had their hand back. Yes. Esther. Esther. The king, the king has signed a decree unknowingly to kill all the Jews in the land, including his own wife, his own queen. Crisis of faith. Yes, Luke. Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, to the top of Mount Moriah and slay him, offer him like the heathen do. I mean, all the way to the point where the, where the knife is in his hand, ready to come down. Crisis of faith, yes. Daniel, a couple of times. Daniel was told, as a teenager, you eat the idol meat, you drink the wine, or you're going to what? You're going you're gonna to die. And then a couple of chapters later, he is now an old man, and they pass a law, again, unknowing to the king, that if you pray to any other god, you will be thrown into the lion's den. What does he do? He does what he always does. He opens the window, he kneels down, and he prays toward Jerusalem, and he gets cast into the lion's den. Crisis. You, you guys know your Old Testament way better than the first 9 o'clock hour, let me tell you. Victor, Jacob. Jacob, all right, Jacob, he's in my notes. So Jacob, Jacob now, the last time he has seen his brother has been 20 years, and his brother says, I will kill you. And so now, now he's coming back after 20 years, and so, so he divides his family up, Bilhah, Zilpah, uh, Leah, and he, he, he puts them out first. And then he's coming in the back because his brother says, that's a crisis. How'd you like to be one of those ladies with the kids? Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks, Dad. And so it's a crisis of faith. A decision is going to have to be made. They're at a crossroads. You can do the same thing in the New Testament. How about Enoch and Noah? It appeared the whole world turned away from God. How about Sarah uh, when she could not conceive until she was 90? Ladies, think about it. How many of you ladies would like to give birth at 90? Yikes. All right, uh, crisis. How about our church and our gathering project building program? Do you realize that, that in the last year and a half, some churches and some businesses that shut down closed permanently they didn't reopen and here we are embarking upon a multi-million dollar building project is that is that faith is that foolishness well the architect and the builder and the banker the church leaders and and we the church family we all cast our vote to move forward yes it's a step of faith 
It's a step of faith. Didn't Gideon have to have faith when he surrounded an astronomical number of soldiers with only 300 people? Uh, didn't Joshua have to have to have faith when God says, take your sword and, and put it in the sheath, march around Jericho seven times and blow a trumpet? Didn't that take some faith to be able to believe and to obey God what he said? So there in your notes, Jesus often asked in multiple different ways, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Do you believe? This crossroads, this major turning point is where many Christians miss out on experiencing God's mighty power and working God working through them. And for many, they, they hesitate. For many, they disobey. For many, it's because they cannot see how everything is going to happen. They want to walk with God by sight, not faith. But what does God call us to do? Walk by faith and not by sight. So we're all going to have these moments of crisis. We're all going to have these crossroads. Now, the older you are, the more you're going to be able to look back and reminisce and, and see these things happening. The younger you are, you're going to have to trust God, and you're going to have to trust the testimony of the older folks who have already lived through this. It was the spring of 1984. My Uncle Bill, godly man in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, contacted me. He said as the head of the board of his uh, church board, he was authorized to offer me to be their youth pastor at Mount Calvary, Mount Calvary Church. He said it will be a good salary with, with uh, full medical benefits. Uh, they have a wonderful youth group. Uh, he said uh, he knew I was just finishing my internship uh, for ministry. He said, I'm praying with you about your next step in the ministry. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pray about this as well. Now, I was very close to my aunt and uncle as they were the first to speak to me about the Lord when I was 12. They were the first to take uh, my brother and I to a revival service. Now, now surrendering for ministry uh, was a milestone decision given my extreme fear of public speaking, and that was, that was about eight years earlier. Now I find myself at a new crossroads. Move to E-Town with all the security of a solid church, with, uh, with loving relatives or move to the Philadelphia suburbs where I don't know a soul and no prospects of anyone coming to a new church plant. Now, now most churches, I've discovered that they, they, they begin with, uh, with a small group. Maybe there's a, a team member. Maybe there's relatives. They go back to an area that they know. Maybe there's friends. Maybe someone has shown an interest in starting a church, and so they have... Uh, they have at least something to start with. But I sense God's leading to start a church and just started taking one step at a time. One step at a time. First step, find a place to meet. And so we came up Route 30 uh, from Philadelphia along the main line and could not find any place to meet. One library said, well, you can meet here at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and but it was part of the library, and so that's not going to work. And, and so I went to the township building and, and uh, met with them and asked if I could, could, uh, could rent a, a school building. And, and the guy, he, he did this kind of thing. Some of you have heard the story. And, and I leaned over, and he said, don't you know, it's illegal for churches to meet in school buildings. Separation of church and state. 
And I said, oh, I said, I thought, well, he did, I'll do it. I said, I said, don't you know that churches are meeting in school buildings in Virginia and Missouri and Texas and Florida and Ohio? He said, they're not supposed to. <laughs> okay, this is a dead end. And so we wound our way up to a place called Norristown. And I went to the Better Business Bureau. So I'm looking for a place to start a uh, a church, you know, a storefront, a meeting room. And then he said, well, he said, you'll never get space in King of Prussia. Never. He said, it's, it's just all very expensive, commercial. It's not a very big territory. And you know when he said, he said, you'll never get space in King of Prussia to meet. It's just as if God said, I specialize in the never. And so I go to uh, the uh, King of Prussia to the Upper Marion Middle or Upper Marion Township building. And I said, hey, I'd like to be able to rent space for a church. And so they give me the application and I'm filling it out and says, it says, you know, you can rent it for dances and bingo and games and parties. And then it has a line at the bottom. Uh, churches cannot rent the township building for religious services. So I went back up and I asked him, I said, yeah, that's right. I said, well, how about a school building? And they said, well, you have to go to the, the uh, uh, school uh, office department and ask them. So I went over there, and, and they said, oh, sure. And so they gave me the application, and I filled it out, and we ended up at Upper Marion Middle School. It's a place to meet. All right, now I've got to find a place to live. And, and so the expressway came all the way out and dead-ended at Oaks. And so, I, so we rode down and found a condominium in Montclair, got a, got a place to meet, Got a place to live. We're going to mail out some flyers. And so I go to the Oaks Post Office, and I said, we, we, we need a mass mailing permit. And he said, well, we don't, we don't do it that often, but sure, let me help you. And permit number two. <laughs> so we, we filled it out, and uh, 30,000 flyers are printed up, mail out 25,000, and we, we pass out 5,000 by hand in a single guy, a military guy from Fort Myers that was in my Sunday school class. He came up and helped me pass out flyers, and, and uh, he put one on the door that our, our missionary, uh, Linda, uh, uh, Joanna, her mom, Linda Orfanos, uh, got and uh, called and came to church. Now, you talk about a step of faith. How about Linda Orfanos bringing her children to a church, a new church that doesn't have a congregation, that doesn't have a building, that doesn't have a Sunday school, doesn't have a nursery, doesn't have any ministries. It's a step of faith. All we have is the Word of God. We're gonna share the Word of God. And it takes, it takes a step of faith. Anything that has been done at Valley Forge Baptist is of the Lord. He gets all the credit for working in people's lives. To follow God, You'll have to walk by faith. And sometimes it's going to be a little bit scary. There's the unknown. There's all the what ifs. But Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. Biblical faith requires action. It's more than just belief in your head. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 1.22. God does not want you to merely believe what he says. He wants you to get it into your heart and life and obey what he commands. Jesus said it this way. He said, he said, yea, rather, blessed, happy, 
Happy are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You do it, Luke eleven twenty eight. And so, all of God's promises, all of God's invitations are meaningless unless you believe and you obey him. God's invitation to Moses to work with him, it led to a crisis of belief that's going to require faith and action. Moses expresses, expressed this crisis of belief to God five times at the burning bush. Moses objected to God's assignment five times. I want you to think about it. Here's a burning bush. It's not consumed. The bush starts talking. It's talking with an authoritative divine voice. Wouldn't you think you'd say, wow, wow, you want me to do something, God? Yes, sir. I, yes. Wow, I'm, I, I'm so honored that you invite me to be a part of your work. It's not what he did. Five times he objects. Here we go. Verse 11. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses' first question is, who am I? I'm not worth doing this. Second question is, who are you? Who are you? Verse 13. Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? Who are you? Objection number three, chapter four. Turn over a page, chapter 4, verse 1. The Jews won't believe me, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. This is about the most pessimistic thing anyone has ever said to God up to this point in history. How does Moses know they're not going to believe him? How does Moses know they're going to say no to him? Really? Moses, you got it all figured out. You know what they're going to do? I love God's response, verse 2. Moses, what's in your hand? A, a rod, a stick, a shepherd's staff. Verse 3, throw it on the ground. He did, and it became a snake. Now, Moses was a good Baptist. You say, how do I know? Because, because he fled, right? He ran away. <laughs> That's what we Baptists do. You got a snake in front of you, you run away. This is the second connection I have with Moses. Uh, first of all is his fear of public speaking. Secondly is his fear of snakes. You see, I had, I had two heart-pounding experiences with snakes as, as a teenager before I was saved. And then... When we moved from Texas to Virginia, my, my brother and I went to see a movie called Stanley. Stanley is the worst movie that Hollywood has ever made. This, uh, this former veteran, he gets back at everyone by throwing snakes at them, all right? Don't go and see it. Just, just, a, just a side note, don't watch horror movies, all right? Don't watch horror movies because what happens is those images get stuck in your brain for like decades, and so, so Moses, he ran away. God says, come back, come back. Uh, pick up the snake by the tail, and it turned back into a stick. It turned back into a rod. 
Chapter 4, verse 10, next objection. Moses said, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. I am slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. What does he do? Objection, objection, objection. You wonder, how did this guy ever make it into the Hebrews Hall of Faith? You know, Moses is just like us. He's weak. He's scared. He's fearful. He's hesitant. He's insecure. He's got skeletons in the closet, sins of the past, right? But he is also forgiven. He is loved by God. He is chosen by God to do something great for God, and so are you. So Moses expressed many objections. As I did when I sensed God's prompting to surrender to ministry, Moses doubted what God, that God could convince Pharaoh to release the Jewish people. Why? Because he couldn't speak eloquently, as if Pharaoh's going to respond based on Moses' ability to speak with a silver tongue. One more objection, chapter 4, verse 13. Send somebody else. He said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him, who thou wilt send. Five times Moses objects. This last time he says, Lord, just choose somebody else. Isn't God patient with us? Isn't he patient? Five times Moses objects. Five times God responds. God says, okay, okay, you can take Aaron along, your brother Aaron. Do you know the first time Aaron spoke in the Bible? You know what he said in Exodus 32? He said, yeah, let's make a golden calf and worship it. <laughs> a lot of help he was. Five objections, five responses. You know, may I, when was the last time you were like Moses and you argued or you struggled with what God was allowing to happen in your life? You just don't like it. You may I say it kindly, but truthfully, you don't always have to get your way. You don't always have to get your way at home. You don't always have to get your way at work. You don't always have to get your way at church. Let, let God do what he wants to do. And just because you don't get your way is not a reason to quit. How many backyard baseball games ended because the boy who owned the bat said, you do it my way or I'm taking my bat and what? Going home. Do it my way or I'll quit. Hey, hey. God's work is way too big for us to have that kind of an attitude. Was Moses doubting God or was Moses doubting himself? How many of you think that Moses was doubting God? How many think, how many think Moses was doubting himself? How many think he was doubting both? I, I didn't know, so I thought I would ask you to try and help figure this out. Same response in the early congregation. He's got some doubts. Got some doubts about himself. He's got some doubts about, about God. Is God really able to do what he says? Moses is facing a crisis of belief. He's facing a crossroads. He's facing a decision. But God finally convinced Moses to become involved in delivering the Jews from slavery. Interesting. Moses' faith is described in Hebrews 11 as a model of self-sacrifice, 
as, as, as for us to follow his example of trusting God's power. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 29, it repeatedly says, Moses chose. Moses chose. Now, it didn't happen one sermon, bang, he got it. No, no, it took some time. It took some discussion. It took some growth. But finally, Moses said, okay, I'm going to choose I'm going to choose. I'm going to let go of Egypt. I'm going to choose to follow God and go God's way. Has God convinced you yet that he wants you to be involved in his great work? Has he convinced you yet? You know, the biggest fear that I had about starting a church was that I was just too young. I was 24. But many said I looked like I was 18. And so do you, do you know what God did? He sent a 68-year-old couple to us on our second Sunday. Now, Linda, you've heard she came the first Sunday, but in the second Sunday, she was on vacation. And so God brought a 68-year-old couple, uh, Irv and Peg Steely. He had just retired. He just read the late, great planet Earth, saw the salvation prayer, and he got saved. He brought his wife. He brought his daughter, brought his granddaughter. And a week later, I led Mrs. Steely to the Lord on Labor Day weekend. They all got baptized. Uh, uh, Tom and Jeannie Zezzi were there that Sunday. In the same way that God gave Moses a sign, you know, the, the, the stick turns into a snake, the hand gets leprous, stick it back in, and it goes back to, uh, to, to good flesh again. God gave him a sign. God gave me a sign. This 68-year-old couple came on the second Sunday, first members of our church, and God said, it's not about you, and it's not about your age. It's about me, and it's about my word and my gospel. Now, back then, I thought 68 was really old, but now they're <laughs> just getting started, all right? But, but that man, within a month, he began counting the offering, making the deposit, was fully trustworthy, and God just, he just took it away. You take the step of faith. You take the step of faith. Seven realities of experiencing God, God's invitation. Right now, right now, you might be in a crisis of belief. You might be at a crossroads. You might be wondering, you know, is, is the Bible really true? Is it really true? You might be wondering, is God really involved in my life? If so, what is he asking me to do? What is, he, what is keeping you from that step of faith of obeying him? What does God want you to do for him next? The only way to find out and that's the next reality about God is number six. You have to be willing to make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. Do you know in Luke 9, 23, Jesus, he said to, he said to those that are considering following him, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't look back, follow me. Don't look at other people, follow me. Uh, many of us want God to speak to us. We want God to lead us. We want, we want the excitement of God working in our lives, but we're just hesitant to make any major adjustments to the direction of our lives. When God speaks to your heart, there's only one option, and that is trust and obey. This is where our faith turns into surrender. It's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to, to do it. For instance, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, 
If you get saved, you get what? You get baptized. It takes a decision. It takes action to actually obey his command. Knowing and doing are two different things. My doctor, my doctor, every year my doctor tells me to exercise regularly. I know I'm supposed to exercise regularly. Do you know why he tells me that? He tells me that because if I exercise regularly, he says it will help my cholesterol. Right, right. I don't know how. (laughs) I don't know how. I'm supposed to believe by faith that exercise will help my cholesterol. If you're like me, you might have a hard time being consistent. You believe it, but you really don't believe it until you do it. To get from where you are to where God wants you to be requires changes in your life. You may have to adjust your thinking. You may have to adjust your attitude. You may have to adjust your friendships. You may have to adjust your actions. You may have to adjust your beliefs. You can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. For instance, you might be here today thinking, you know, I'm going to heaven. I was baptized as a baby. I'm going to heaven. I was confirmed in the church. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anybody yet. Uh, I'm, I'm going to heaven. You know, I, we, we went down to the, uh, the funeral service and back, and Jody and I had the opportunity to, to talk to some folks about the Lord uh, sitting next to us there in the plane. And, and one was a, a teenager. He's, uh, he's Muslim. And so I got to share my testimony and share the gospel. And I, I asked him about his faith and beliefs. And I asked him, I said, so you, you believe you're going to go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, well, what have you been taught about how you can go to heaven as a Muslim? He said, well, he said, it's kind of like this. He said, you've got your sins and the bad things you do. And then he said, you've got your, how do you say it? Good things, good deeds. He said, yeah, good deeds. He said, so you've got your good deeds and your sins. And he said, whichever is most, that determines if you get to go to heaven. I said, you know, there's a lot of Protestants and Catholics that believe that too. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to have a relationship with God, you're going to have to change your beliefs. I said, have you ever heard of, uh, of the verse John 3, 16? He said, no, nope, never heard of it. So my Bible, I got to read him John 3, 16, and asked him if he read the gospel to John, and he said he would. And I explained that salvation is a gift. God's son came into the world and died upon a cross. He died in our place, and he rose again on the third day, and, and God, God offers you this gift. Now, he, he didn't get saved, but we had an opportunity, and, and uh, L. Stocks and Eifert had an opportunity to share with, we're on different rows, and, and it sounded like a little evangelistic service going on uh, both ways. God put us there to share the good news about Jesus Christ with others. You might have to change your beliefs. Let's say you're dating someone and you know they're not a Christian. Do you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14 that a Christian, a believer, is not to marry an unsaved person. Is that right? All agree with that? Not supposed to marry an unsaved person. So I I, I talk to the kids in in Bible class here at our school and I say, okay, so that's wrong. That's a sin. You don't do that. Well, what about getting engaged? Is it okay to get engaged to an unsaved person? You know, some of the kids said, no, you shouldn't do that. And some of the other ones said, yeah, it's okay. That's not a sin because the sin is getting married to a lost person, so it's okay to get engaged to a lost person. I said, now think with me. What is engagement? What's engagement? It's a promise, right? It's a promise. So if you get engaged to an unsaved person, you're making a promise. I haven't sinned yet, but I'm going to promise to sin. (laughs) 
you know, you might have to make an adjustment. You might have to break off a romantic relationship with a person who is not a believer. You might have to be able to begin to withdraw from a friendship that is pulling you away from God. You say, oh, but they're saved. Well, they might be saved, but if they're pulling you away from God, you need to pull away from that friendship. You must make major adjustments in your life to join in what God is doing. So I ask you, what adjustment is God asking of you? Are you willing to make adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing in your life? For Moses, it meant going back to Egypt, where Pharaoh tried to kill him the last time he was in town. Moses chose to experience God. He left his shepherding job and obeyed God's will. Now, for Moses to go into Pharaoh's court, we would say today it's like, it's like turning himself over to the authorities to be arrested and charged. But God took care of that too. Look at chapter 4 and in verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Moses took his wife, his sons, he set them upon an ass. He returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Isn't that cool? So it was a shepherd's staff. It was just a rod. Now it's the rod of God. And God says, I am going to be with you. You can trust in me to do my will. Now, now God didn't need the people that wanted Moses dead for them to be dead because God can protect him supernaturally. Moses made a choice. He chose to let God mold him. He chose to let God direct him. He chose to let God remake him and, and conform him into the ways of God. Moses made a choice. He surrendered to God for God to use him as he chooses. Now here's what's really amazing. God turned a fearful and weak and insecure man and made him into one of the greatest rulers the world has ever known. What does God want to do with your life? Well, the first step is to, ex to experience God is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John 1, 12, but as many as, as, many as uh, he gave power to become the sons of God, uh, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, to believe on him. God will give you a peace that your sins are forgiven. God will give you a peace that heaven is your home. God will give you a peace that you are born again into the family of God when you, when you release what you are believing and you believe on Christ alone. Christian, God wants you to do the same in following his will. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for the example he is to us. He struggled as we struggle. He argued as we argue. He resisted as we resist. But Lord, we're thankful that he surrendered. We're thankful that he chose to experience you by following your perfect will. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, I, I know that I am saved. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've got a Bible reason that I know I'm going to heaven. If you're not ashamed to be called a Christian, 
You're not ashamed to say, I am, I've been born again. I remember, I remember the time when God came into my life. Would you simply raise your hand as a testimony all over this congregation? You may put your hands down. You say, Pastor, I, I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. But I want to be saved. Maybe you just raised your hand, but in your heart, you know you have doubt. God brought you here today for this moment to hear clearly that God loves you. Sin will keep you out of heaven. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. And if you will but trust Jesus Christ today, humbly asking him to forgive you and to believe with all of your heart that Christ died for you and rose again, you can be saved. You can be born again into the family of God. May I ask you today, is there any reason why you should not receive Christ today? I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to get baptized. I'm asking you to recognize that God loves you, Jesus died for you, and your life your life is in his hands. You cannot go to heaven with your sin. Would you trust him today? Would you pray to him right now, right where you're seated? If you're not sure, pray a prayer of recommitment. You can't really begin to live until you know where you're going when you die. Pray with me now from your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. Heads about, eyes are closed. If you just called upon the Lord and you meant it with all of your heart, may I say to you, welcome to the family of God. Anyone at all, would you simply raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Anyone at all, I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you. Let's join the one that was saved in the early service today. Just simply raise your hand. I pray with you, Pastor. I meant it with all of my heart. I pray with you today. Anyone at all. Christian, may I ask you, are you, are you willing to take the steps of faith and obedience? Are you willing to make the adjustments that God is asking you to make for you to experience God, for you to begin to do the divine task that he has for you, big or small? As Pastor Matt begins to sing, would you have a time to do business with God and let, let God bring to your heart and mind the changes, the decisions that need to be made in your life. Would you let God have his way in your life? Would you surrender to him now? Father, we pause in your presence. 
we ask the Spirit of God to prompt us, to nudge us, to cleanse us, forgive us, to empower us, to guide us into what you would have us to do for you. We want to see and sense your work in and around us. We want to join with you in what you are doing, shining the light of Christ to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.